couple of verses, just really just three verses out of Psalm 42. So, you know, the book of Psalms is really uh, the first hymnal, so to speak. It's a book of poetry and it's a book of songs. And sometimes it'll say, like if you have your Bible open and you're looking at Psalm 42, this one says, Longing for God and His help in distress. To the leader, a mascal of the Korites. And so it's, it's, it's like uh, if this were a hymnal, there's some directions there for the choir director, Leslie, and, and um, to kind of give some background about what this hymn is about. And so I'm going to read to you these three verses and these first three verses kind of summarize this psalm. I, I would go through and read the whole thing, but I'm trying to cut this sermon a little shorter, or my part of it a little shorter, because I think we're going to have some fun this morning and in a new and different way for the church. And so listen to what the writer of this psalm says and ask yourself, have you ever felt this way? As a deer longs for flowing streams, so my soul longs for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and behold the face of God? My tears have been my food day and night, while people say to me continually, where is your God? Have you ever felt that desire, like the desire of somebody who is dying of thirst for water? Has your soul ever thirsted for God that much? I mean, of course, in a time of crises, we're like, where is God? What's going on here? Why? Why is this going on? I wish I knew, had the answers. But in our daily lives, how much do you thirst for God? And my guess is some days more than others, right? And some seasons more than others. And so this sermon series that I'm going to be preaching through Lent is about what do we, what do, we do when we feel that thirst? And, and more, more likely, you know, they say you're supposed to drink, what, 64 ounces of water or something like that a day to keep yourself from feeling thirsty, maybe more if you live in the desert and it never rains, except, what, nine inches a year or something like that? Maybe we should drink a little more water than that. But how is it that you drink spiritual water every day? And that's what I want to talk about this sermon series is how do we have faith that is functional? About three months ago now, maybe two, I was listening to a podcast, and on the podcast there was um, the, the podcaster, the host of the show, was interviewing a guy, and they were talking about nutrition and dieting and um, healthy ways of eating, and the nutritionist uh, cited a study from, that came from some psychologists and nutritionists out of California who... Um, did a study on prisoners in the, in the California penal system. And you know, you probably know this, but uh, prisoners in the penal system are chronically deficient of vitamin D. And one of the primary ways that we absorb vitamin D is by going outside and getting sunshine on our skin. And so in New Mexico and Arizona... We don't have many vitamin D deficiencies because we get a lot of sunshine in, in these states. And most people, by eating a balanced diet and getting some sun shining on your skin, will get enough vitamin D. And there are some of us who might need to supplement and get a little more. Well, in the penal system, prisoners don't have a well-rounded, nutrient-dense diet. And additionally, they get very little sun shining on their skin. And so there's a chronic deficiency of vitamin D. 
So there, there were five prisons in California that did a study, and they did, they did two things. They gave every prisoner a fish oil capsule, and they gave every prisoner a vitamin D capsule. And the incidence of violence went down 60%. The, the man being interviewed said, what happens sometimes is we make a decision in our lives we're going to lose some weight. And we think that that's going to be the thing that solves the problem. And, and the way that we change our diet and manage our eating actually causes more problems. Because all we're concerned about is what happens when we step on the scale and look down at the number or slide the little thing and cross your fingers behind your back, right? Like, you, we're just concerned about one aspect of, of, of our health. What do we weigh? When really he was advocating and saying, when you change your diet, not only should you measure by stepping on the scales, you should measure with a tape measure around your waist and around your neck and different parts of your body. But not only should you do those things, because that's just one indicator of health, you should pay attention to how um, you're sleeping and how your sleep patterns change based on what you're eating and how your mood is affected by what you're eating and what you're not eating and how your concentration levels when you're at work or just going through your day are affected by how you are or are not eating. And that's kind of a better balance. And you need people in your life who can say, Ross, you're being a real turd. Like, you, you should probably eat something that has some sugar in it because it seems like your blood sugar's dropped and you're unbearable. That's what happens at my house, right, Emery? And so, um, you know what it means to be hangry when you're so hungry you're angry. Um, that happens, and that means, like, you've got something going on. You need food in your body. Well, as I was listening to this podcast, I started thinking, well, what about our faith? Are we deficient in our faith in ways because we consume this diet of singing songs and listening to and praying along with the preacher and hearing the preacher read some words and then listening to a sermon? And if that's the only spiritual disciplines that we practice, and maybe throughout the week we read a devotional every day and say a little prayer every day, and if that's the only spiritual disciplines that we engage in, I would say we have a spiritual deficiency within our diet. Because when we read the Gospels and read about the way Jesus lived, Jesus did a lot of things other than go to the synagogue and sing songs and read Scripture. Jesus fasted. Jesus spent time in solitude. Jesus listened really closely to what was happening around Him. And, and so the next few weeks, I want to talk about the hows and the whys to various spiritual disciplines. So we're going to talk about inner disciplines, and we're going to talk about outer disciplines, and we're going to talk about corporate disciplines, that if we engage in all three of them, we'll round out our faith in a way that makes it functional. So what is functional faith? Well, I stole the idea of functional faith from the phrase functional fitness. And functional fitness is the kind of fitness that lasts through your life, that allows you to move in a way that is functioning. So you may have seen really big, strong, muscular, bodybuilder-type people, right? And, and, and they move like this. And they can lift crazy amounts of weight. And you may have seen people who can run marathons and ultra-marathons, but they're just not very strong. Well, functional fitness... The idea behind it is a functionally fit person can outlift a runner, 
and outrun a lifter. So you have this functional kind of movements. And so when you go to the gym, you practice functional movements. Is your faith functional? When you watch the news and you hear about a shooting in Florida, how does your faith engage in that? When you go to the polls to vote, how does your faith engage in that? When you interview for a job and you're waiting and hoping to get the job, how does your faith engage? More likely, when you lose a job or a relationship starts to fall apart, what happens? How does your faith engage? Is your faith functional? Or is it kind of heavy on one side and on the other side it's weak and so you're out of balance? So we're going to talk about how you know. We're going to talk about what you can do to be more balanced. And we're going to talk about why you should be more balanced. But before we get into all of that, I want to introduce a friend of mine to you. So Julie, will you come on up here? This is Julie. I met Julie. uh, Yeah, grab, grab that. Sean, you come on up too. So I met Julie in June. Uh, We had come, I was here for annual conference and knew I was coming to this church. And um, so between annual conference stuff, Michelle and I were house hunting and I had emailed two different gyms in town. So I love CrossFit. It's it's, It's all about functional fitness. And I had emailed two different gyms in town and they both replied to me. And while I was here in June, I went to both of those gyms and decided that CrossFit Desert Devil is the place that I was going to make my new home away from home uh, as far as fitness goes in Las Cruces. And Julie was there that day and coached me, and, um, and then it took me a long time to get consistent again, and they would think, like, maybe he got in a car accident and died. Who knows where he went? <laughs> and Right? I mean, seriously. There, and, and, <laughs> yeah, I would get texts, and, and I love accountability, so when I would get a text message saying, where are you? I was like, oh, these are, these are my people. They're going to hold me accountable to things. And so um, over the last six months, I've gotten to know Julie, and I really like the way she coaches. And so one of the things that I've been thinking about is, as preachers, we have failed our congregations. Because you'll come to us and say, hey, I'm a, I'm a Christian. I'm, I'm a follower of Jesus, and, and if this is new to me. And we'll say, yeah, great, jump in, do everything. But we don't teach you how. And we don't teach you why. And I was watching Julie in the gym one day. Um, what, were you calling it on-ramp? What, what were you calling the foundations. foundations class? And so people who are first-timers to CrossFit go to this foundations class, and they teach like step by step by step how to do certain movements and how movements build on top of each other. And I thought, we should learn from CrossFit in the church. We should teach people step by step by step the foundational things and help them grow into being able to do things that build on one another. And so I asked Julie to come this morning and demonstrate what I'm talking about by teaching Sean how to do a movement. And so I'm going to leave it to you now. I'm not working out today, Julie. (laughs) thought you were about to make me do something. Um, So you saw like step by step, by step, the process, right? And that's not even the finished process because that's just to build up to be able to do the snatch from the floor. And so we have failed. We, being pastors, have failed you, being congregants, because we don't teach you. We just tell you. 
Okay, so you should fast. And you should meditate. And you should do acts of service. And, and, and we'll read in Scripture where Jesus was driven out into the, into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit and fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. And we think, well, if Jesus could do it that long, maybe I could do four days and four nights. And so you just try. You just kind of jump in, right? But nobody teaches you the hows or the whys. And that maybe it's not a good idea for the very first time you fast to try four days and four nights. And maybe you're thinking like, well, I don't even have to drink water. Like, what, what is a fast? And how do we... Do? And, and so these next few weeks, I want to teach us the hows and the whys and the building blocks so that you can start trying some of the, these things out. But before we dismiss and say our affirmation of faith this morning, we're going to try something. Okay, so I'm going to have Sean set a timer for two minutes. And this is what I want you to do this week. This week, I want you to spend five minutes every single day in complete silence. Intentionally, by yourself, complete silence. So if you're like me, you may have to get up before your kids because they make noise all the time. Like, literally, Emery talks in her sleep, and she wakes up talking. And so, it's talking all the time at my house, between the people who live there. And so, if I need silence and I'm at home, I have to get up early, before everybody else, so that I can have that silence. And so, what I, what I want you to do this week, and we're going to practice it now, is put your feet firmly planted on the floor in front of you. Sit up tall in your seat. Loosen your shoulders. If your shoulders are tight, loosen them up. Move your neck around. You're not going to be super comfortable because this isn't your comfortable sitting position. Where you were before is. So one of the things that we have to do is work on being comfortable, getting comfortable being uncomfortable. Right? That's another thing that I've learned. Being comfortable in an uncomfortable place is a discipline. Yesterday, John Thornburg, who's raised, put your hand up, John. John is from the Methodist Foundation, but he's also a pastor, was leading our board through a retreat. And he told us a story about this song. How do you pronounce that? Just like that. <laughs> and, and, and that means in the boat with Christ my Lord, something like with Jesus, right? And so he told us a story about... You can relax. I'll get you back in that uncomfortable position again in a minute. Um, he told us a story about this, this song. And um, I'm not going to tell the whole story because I won't tell it nearly as good as he did. And it won't be as powerful even what I'm about to say. But he translated this song from French to English and mistranslated it. And the, the original uh, writer of this song, or I think as she would prefer the original conduit for God to give us this song. Um, at first, didn't have the courage to tell him he had mistranslated it because there was a power differential between he and her. This was in Cameroon. And after a number of years, she finally had the courage to tell him that he had mistranslated it. And what was your original translation, John? Uh, in the boat with Christ my Lord on the calm, placid sea. In the boat with Christ my Lord on the calm, placid sea. Beautiful, right? And it teaches you about the story of Jesus calming the storm. But listen to what the final translation is. In the boat with Christ my Lord on the wild and stormy sea. 
all is well both in this hour and for all eternity. The only way that we can sing a song like that is if we have faith and can get to a place where we're comfortable being uncomfortable. And it takes discipline. And John told me before uh, we started this service that Therese, who wrote this song, would pray for three hours a day. She and her husband would get up in the morning before the sun ever came up and pray for three hours. The only way we can get to a place where we're comfortable being uncomfortable and where we have faith that functions in uncomfortable situations is if we practice. So, feet firmly planted on the floor, sitting up straight, breathing from your stomach, hands on your thighs in front of you. And for two minutes, we're going to be completely silent. And I'm going to tell you now, let your brain wander. This is the beginning of the discipline. Eventually, you want to get to a place where you're not thinking about anything except your breath and the presence of God with you. But you're not there yet. You're still learning how to pick the bar up, right? So, two minutes, complete silence, and that's all you're focusing on. There's no right or wrong. If your brain starts to think about the things you have to do this afternoon, think about those things. Eventually, we'll build up to where you're able to calm your mind down. So, Sean, start the timer, and it'll be a gentle reminder that two minutes is over. Oh, close your eyes. Close your eyes. Yeah, good question. All right, ready? That's what two minutes of silence feels like. I was watching some of you were like, yeah, I'm ready for 20 more of these. And some of you were like, oh my 
much time's gone by, you know. And that's okay. Because you pick it up where you are. And so what I would ask you to do is, for the rest of this week, take five minutes a day. And spend that five minutes in silence. Because here's the thing. If you want to be what I call a pop, a person of peace, you've got to carve out time in your life that's peaceful just for you. So that you can take that peace to other places. So in those moments that you're having silent time, the only thing, the only added thing I would say from here on out is as you're breathing, there's a rabbi that taught that the word for Yahweh, um, there are four letters that we use for Yahweh, yod He vad He, and they're all consonants. There's no vowel. So it can't be pronounced. And the way it would sound if you tried to pronounce it is like this. That's it. It's the sound of our breath. So the first thing you do when you're born is go, so you can cry out. And if you've ever been in the room with someone when they die, the last thing they say is, and there's this rabbinical idea that every breath we take, we're saying the proper name of God. And so as you're sitting in silence for five minutes a day this week, let your breath remind you of the presence of God in your life. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's important.